This is Tell Your Story podcast with Alian Kaleriano, and today I'm speaking with Francis Maxwell. So you guys know this by now, but if you want to skip over the bio, you can fast forward to when you hear that music again. And you'll move straight into the conversation between Francis and I. But I do think that, as I always say, it's important to listen to the bio just so you know who we're talking to here. Francis is an interesting character in that I met him while I was still working at Vice Media. And I was told that I was having a meeting with this young guy who worked for the Young Turks Network. He still works there. And he was a sports host slash broadcaster. And I immediately thought, okay, yeah, cool. So I'm going to walk into this room and get this personality, this this version of him that turns on immediately. Just because I, as a host for 10 years of my life, have done that before and know how it's been done with other hosts. You kind of have your own hidden personality and then you have this public kind of persona. When I walked into that room, I started speaking with Francis and I didn't ever see him turn on, which I thought was so impressive. We actually spoke about things outside of sport, which was so good for me considering I don't particularly like talking about sports. And he told me about his story of being an immigrant from Scotland and coming to Los Angeles and going to university. And some of these stories you'll hear in this podcast and in this conversation when we're speaking. But I like the fact that he had a worldview and he had an opinion about pretty much any topic that I would bring up at the time. So when I then watched him evolve in his career with the Young Turks and kind of watch his personal evolution, or I guess maybe even his brand evolve on social media, it only made sense that he started talking about politics. And then the way that he started with politics is after Colin Kaepernick took a knee during the national anthem. And there was this cross-section, this kind of bridge that Francis so eloquently walked over from just sports coverage to politics and really to this more of human condition. And, and he, he started talking about, about race and, and really questioning the foundation of America and what it means to be an American and, and why race is so prevalent and why we're hateful. And of course, there are certain things that he talks about that are much lighter, like millennials and why they love avocado toast. We talk about that as well. But what's interesting in his career trajectory is is how it aligns with his personal evolution and I think that's why this conversation is so important is because we speak heavily on the art of listening and how forgotten that is and how important that is and that through his ability to learn how to listen he has been able to not only hear others stories and to understand them better but to also better understand himself and that really is what listening is for because it's a double win it's a win-win situation you get to understand and hear and see another person but you also get to see yourself and when you have clarity within who you are you can step into the world as a better human being i feel that his trip to uganda also had a huge shift and nudged him into this space of humility and I think he needed that and Francis I'm sorry if you listen to this I'm glad that that happened to you um, because your selfies and your outfits of the day well I mean they're not questionable I suppose they're part of your brand but that was something that was really important so there's a lot here in this conversation listening is a big one and and the benefits of humility and really seeing others as human beings no matter what you're told or what you're supposed to think and questioning everything if you love this conversation I ask you that you share if you screen grab it and post it to your instagram story i will definitely regram that on alianka or at untitled female same goes for facebook same goes for twitter i hope you enjoyed this here's francis in his wonderful scottish accent ladies i believe he's single all right here we go In looking through some of the videos that you've done and the work that you've done and even some of the interviews, mm-hmm. I I stopped looking and I stopped kind of doing my research because I felt like I was buying into your personality. Mm. And what's interesting is that, you know, when we met each other, we met at the vice offices and I, I didn't know what, you know, I didn't know about your work and I will be frank, I didn't really look it up after you left. 
because I really enjoyed you, yeah, you know, as a person. And so today when I was kind of like filing through my notes again, I just wanted to kind of almost leave the door open for this to be an organic conversation. Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of get to know you mm. versus you, the personality. And so maybe then the first question is, is there a difference? Do you see it? Is it cultivated or, or is this something that I'm maybe imagining? Uh, I mean, it's a good question. I, it's, it's, it's hard to, like, I feel like a lot of things that make me in a way good or more appealing to someone watching my videos is a lot of qualities that I have in my everyday life uh, and things that drive me and make me passionate and make me upset. Those things are all definitely raw and organic. I, I rarely falsify anything for the need of a clip or a cat or, or to like, do anything on camera. So I do feel like that's it. those two definitely go hand in hand, but there's also the part of being on camera where you kind of need to at times be a little bit more expressive. And that doesn't mean that I'm not outraged at something I'm talking about or I'm not passionate about it. Just there's certain ways that I would articulate it in Francis from Scotland form that can't transform as well over to uh, things on camera. So yeah, I feel like as far as my personality goes, I try to drive it into everything that I do so that because I feel like people especially on the internet watching content can see through that I feel like if they can if they're not getting your personality from something you're doing then I feel like it's very evident and you become just almost a talking head or just someone who's uh, been reading off of a teleprompter and, and I feel like I from the last time we spoke I feel like I've changed completely my direction and what I think I want to do in my life because at the time we spoke I was I was doing sports content mm -hmm. and I'm very passionate about that I used to play professional soccer so I've got huge uh, love for the game of soccer but I felt like I almost was hitting a ceiling very quick and that wasn't just in my work that was just in what I wanted to do in the United States and what I really felt I could be passionate about so I kind of from that really after the meeting with Vice and seeing the stuff that you guys did where you kind of crossed over sports and politics, I, I, was, I was inspired a little bit. And I thought, okay, if I was going to work for a company like that or collaborate with them, then I really need to find out what drives me. So then I was doing politics somewhat at that point, talking about guys like Colin Kaepernick and issues that were crossing over at that point. And I just really went into that field and started to realize that I didn't find it okay with what was going on in the country. And I felt like I had a unique perspective on that. It wasn't always the right perspective. I don't think everyone's always right, but I wanted to share that because I felt from as being a foreigner, something that I think anyone who comes into the United States can see is that it's not perfect, provides great opportunities. And I felt like I could have something to offer the conversation rather than just kind of like in a political sense, left versus right, screaming at each other. And I felt like I could provide my personality with that point of view and try to maybe change some minds and, and and since then it's definitely served me well in my professional career I've, I've went on to do a lot of good things since then but I think just as a person I kind of figured out where my uh, career was heading if that mm. makes sense yeah I'm curious if it was more of a certain I'm assuming it's not just the meeting we had advice but is it a certain your personal evolution some type of personal growth age mm. a certain event that shifted your perspective a little bit uh, I think that it's it's a combination of a few things. I, I was a sociology major in college, and I really enjoyed my college experience. Maybe I should have stuck into my studies a little bit more than I should. But I was a foreigner. I played football. I enjoyed talking to American girls and getting to know all this. Like, so I was really caught up in that world until around my senior year, where I really was kind of consumed by a sociology project I had to do that looked at race. And I really realized I grasped the concept pretty quick. And then I started in my own time to read the likes of James Baldwin and really start to figure out what what made this country the way it is. Why is it so different in certain terms? Why is racism still a prominent thing? But I felt like I almost squashed that part of my my learning and what I wanted to talk about when I got into uh, on-camera work because I was like, okay, I've got a market here. I can talk football and I can get into that. So I think, I think that it was just a point of, as you mentioned, like a personal evolution being like, no, why would I suppress any opinions I have when I think I can add something to the conversation? And it really was a moment like Colin Kaepernick taking a, a, a stance 
against what he felt was racial injustice. It really inspired me in a way to think, okay, why are people so upset at this? And why do I think that it's such an inspirational thing to be able to do that in a country that loves patriotism more than anything else and, and why he got such backlash? And that moment, in a way, started to really uh, encourage me to start to maybe speak out a little bit more on things that I felt. And I gradually started to take on more projects that I felt would lend into a political conversation, started to develop my own videos for Facebook. And I feel like it was just getting myself back to a space that I was in my senior year of college of remembering these things that I truly felt passionate about and these things that I genuinely thought I can maybe make a difference on talking about. So yeah, it was definitely a, an events like that, and not just that. Like, but in, when you're in, like, obviously, you know, I work at the Young Turks, we're a liberal, left-leaning organization. Every day, it comes to my desk. Someone's telling me about another police shooting, or another injustice, or another thing nowadays that Trump's done, or whatever else. So it starts to you're dragged into that world, and uh, it will definitely fade out the people that don't really care about it mm-hmm. because they'll just be exhausted and they'll be like, okay, whatever, like. I'm not going to talk about this because I, I physically can't every day because I don't, I don't believe in it enough. But I feel like I get drawn into it more and continuously pulled in to the point where nowadays, my I mean, 80% of my work that I do at the Young Turks is now mo- mostly political-based. Talking about subjects, really, I've managed to earn myself the freedom of talking about issues that I really care about. Mm-hmm. As I listen to you talk, it's, you know, what keeps coming to my mind are two things. One is what has changed in your kind of description or idea of the United States since you first came here versus how you look Mm -hmm. at it now. And then also as somebody who is talking about mainly American politics, do you feel any backlash? Or maybe the better question is, do you feel extra responsibility to get things right? Or does that Mm. not even matter? Uh, I I feel responsible to get things right. I think we're in a post-truth fake news world where you don't have to be right. You just have to be, at times, very expressive and almost extreme. There's plenty of people that do very similar jobs that I do. Um, And although I've went on to achieve uh, things that I'm proud of at the moment in my life and will continue to go on, there's people that have far and surpassed where I'm at in my career from just being extreme on the other side of political sphere where they just say things that I honestly don't believe that they feel, but they know that it will gain some sort of uh, reaction uh, or some sort of opinion that I necessarily don't agree with. But I definitely do face a lot of backlash. I get a lot of messages of support from people specifically in the African-American community who feel like it's, it's good to see someone who's white uh, speak out against injustice and, and really listen to the problems that are facing that community. And the, those messages go a long way because I think that as every human, it should be, or you should strive to try and help a country or a, or a certain group of people thrive and get better and, and move forward. But it's often used as a term of uh, an insult to me that I I would rather like hate on my own race in a way when I don't it's it's a weird convoluted uh discussion and I'm happy that I can kind of express it here because when someone says that I'm just a white boy trying to like make myself feel better about injustice like I grew up in Scotland where race wasn't really a conversation it was I'm not in a country that historically has had uh, an a, a, a basically a black versus white uh, conversation that's been going on yeah, there was different races there, but I never felt that uh, as a white person being in Scotland, it was I was categorized by a specific uh, group. So when I came to the US and then I started to feel a bit like almost not judged, but feel like I was putting in a bracket as well that I had never really understood, it started to make me want to understand what someone looking at me would assume and what I had to understand in order to see their point of view. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, if I was talking to someone and I didn't have this accent, and I was talking to someone about race, and I was being, uh, I wasn't listening as well. If I was talking to someone who was black, then I feel like historically, and understanding the history of the way the United States has worked, I should be trying my best to listen, even if the opinion I feel isn't doesn't agree with theirs. I feel like when if you understand the history of something, you know that you have a place in terms of reaction. Doesn't mean I can't share my opinion. 
but it just means that I want to try and grasp how this country has gotten to this point and understand my role in it. I'm not American, I'm Scottish, but it doesn't mean that I, I can walk down the street and do things freely. I can be pulled over by a police officer and feel like my life isn't in jeopardy. And I had to really dig deep to understand that even if I have opinions that are maybe not going to please everyone, that I have to stay true to them and I have to try my best to keep learning. So that comes with backlash. It comes with most conservative Americans really not agreeing with what I say and receiving hateful messages every day on Facebook. But again, that's just I was well aware of that before I inserted myself into the conversation and I feel like regardless of whatever direction I take in my in my career, I'm always going to be try to stay true to that and try to speak out against things that I, I really believe in. It's interesting how many times you mentioned the art of listening. Mm. And I feel that especially our generation and the generation below us, younger generation, it's, you know, I was going to say, I guess it's a kind of a lost art, but maybe it's maybe it's changed a little bit. Maybe it's not so much lost because I could say that the older generation, the one above us, you know, there is that sort of kind of friction between being emotional and vulnerable and it's, it's looked down upon. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that our generation, the generation, generation below us is doing much better. It maybe is seemingly better because mm-hmm. we look like we're connected because of social media. But in Mm -hmm. fact, we're so disconnected. Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure what the question is here, but I guess I'm just kind of curious to to see why or to understand why you feel that listening is so important and how would you feel that we can ask others to engage in that practice more? I feel like it's, I mean, it it definitely stems from just the way I was raised obviously plays a big part in it, that I felt like I always tried my best to listen. I wasn't always the the best at doing so, and I was very opinionated, so I want to get my point across. And I still, to this day, when it comes to conversations with people that I don't agree with, I'm still learning. But I feel like specifically in America, there is a fundamental problem with listening to other people's opinions, to different parties' opinions, to different races' opinions. Uh, And it all comes down to education, I believe. And this is something that I've really tried to express whenever I do a video. Because someone could go and stumble on a video that I did where I'm maybe debunking a claim of a different different, uh, political correspondent. Someone who's maybe on a complete different spectrum of a political opinion than mine. And by me debunking their argument, they could say, well, you're not listening to what they're saying. But it's a completely different thing. I'm listening. I just don't agree with it. And that's the the distinction here because people often just won't listen and then they'll disagree. Mm -hmm. And it sounds simple, but it's not. Like often before anyone really, when I get back to the race conversation, because that's where I really learned, had to learn to listen absolutely, is if you hear someone who is black talking about an instance that they faced an oppressed, uh, they faced faced an, uh, an example of oppression, then... They, that person could maybe say something like, this is just what black people face in general in America. And a lot of people, before they even get to that point, can already start to formulate an opinion from their point of view. Well, I don't see it that way. I've never experienced that. I don't see that police officers do this or do that. But that's not listening. That's just allowing your own opinion to come forth without taking in the other person's words, seeing that they see things, understanding history in a way, and seeing that things regardless of just the stats that are almost thrown into every argument, just as a person, this this person is in front of you telling you that he or she experiences something a little differently than you because of the way they look. So you couldn't, regardless if you're a white person like I am when I'm listening to this, there's no physical way that I can understand completely what they're saying unless I really listen and unless I really understand. And it's a lost art. Absolutely. I love that you said that. It is a lost art a lot of the time, not just in politics, but in conversations. How many times do people go out there and rip into millennials? Like I I did a video recently where it talked about the 50 things that I'd found that were so ridiculous that millennials were doing wrong in society today. And I just kind of, I did a response video on it saying like, if you were to listen to what a millennial had to say most of the time on why they're not investing in the stock market, then you would maybe understand rather than just being angry that they're not investing in the stock market because maybe if you listen to what they have to say, they'd tell you that they experienced their parents suffering in one of the biggest financial crises that's ever 
came into fruition in the world. So therefore, they're a little bit hesitant to put their money into the stock market and would rather go and buy avocado toast because my faith in avocado toast being delicious is a lot stronger than my faith in the stock market giving me a good return. Mm -hmm. So just like simple things like listening and people jump to conclusions. They assume that millennials are the worst of one specific example that they've seen, the worst of a rhetoric. I like that rhetoric. They see somebody with a fidget spinner who's not paying attention and they're thinking that's all millennials. When it's not. And it's the same almost broad brush that is painted to every group of people almost like, all right, so uh, a black person was causing a problem at a Black Lives Matter movement. They're all rioting. Or uh, a white person says that they like Trump's ideals on this. Then they're all racists. Like we just identify people with such broad brushes rather than listening to what they say. And I feel like it's led to this almost very difficult place that we've got. Uh, in this country where difference of opinions are hard to be held and that's a problem uh, and I think that it happens outside of politics within politics and it just comes down to people as you mentioned just really listening to what another person has to say I'm glad you brought up millennials mm-hmm. because I I do agree with you that I think we're we're quick to point fingers and to blame without first holding up a mirror and saying well hold on how have I contributed to this situation? Mm. And then, you know, without doing that, and I think that goes in hand with listening, we walk in with this kind of maybe a defense mechanism where instead of hearing somebody out, we just, oh, I couldn't have caused this. So, mm-hmm. but I am curious, since you are aware of millennial needs, mm-hmm. what what do they need? What do they feel? What are they looking to understand, receive, or, 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 or showcase? One of our biggest flaws that I will undoubtedly highlight as a, as a millennial before I go on to things that I think we do well is self is like we really struggle with um, validation. Uh, and I think the need of self-validation has almost not been enough. Like me saying that I'm doing well is not enough for me. And I'm speaking on experience. Uh, like I, I constantly worry even if my videos get 10 million views, like that to me doesn't represent a good video. I almost want my boss to validate it. I want my other employees to validate it. And that's a problem. I recently was on a trip to Uganda with YouTube and I really, in a way, uh, was awoken to how stupid some of the things that I value as validation were in my life, like Instagram likes, retweets, comments, people in the industry congratulate me on things. They just didn't need to be a thing in my life that I valued as valid. That doesn't mean that they're not important, though. That's another distinction. People will often use social media as a way to, in a way, disregard millennials' ability to just interact, everyday interactions like talking to people, which is fine. But when it's part of your job, which social media undoubtedly is, a lot of people will say, then we focus too much on it. But half of the things that we do in a workplace are, can be driven by social media or enhanced by social media or bettered. So I feel like it is an important thing. I, I didn't come back from Uganda thinking I'm not going to, I'm going to quit my Instagram, I'm going to quit my Twitter, I'm not going to post ever again. No, I still like to post selfies and outfit the days and things like that because people follow me and want to know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I got to continue that and I feel like it's a disservice to what I've built as a brand. But it doesn't mean that those likes and those comments validate what I want to do. It just means that I need to take some time and realize that those things don't define whether I'm doing anything right. What should define what I'm doing right is my own my own understanding of the issues that I'm taking on. And it became a little bit of a slippery slope before I started to learn that because I was often doing videos and pursuing things that were just enhancing mm-hmm. my name and my brand in the industry rather than being what I truly cared about. So uh, I'm glad I, I kind of had that experience. Can I dissect that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I'm, what is it? I mean, like, I understand from the entertainment industry side of things where a lot of times an agent or a company will take you on because of the staff mm-hmm. that you have or you'll get a job because you have XYZ. And also that industry breeds a lot of kind of superficial validation. But what is it for you personally? Why did you feel that you needed that validation? Uh, I, I feel like I was measuring myself to other people 
uh, a lot of the time. And if someone else in a similar field or someone I knew was doing well and, and they were getting more likes than I was or their videos were getting better views and they were getting congratulated more, then I almost felt like in order to validate myself and to make my light shine brighter, I had to take from theirs and be like, that is an example of what I got to, I've got to achieve that. I've got to see that. And in a way I was validating my progress from other people's work. Mm-hmm. So it, it took me a, a little bit of a, a, I think a time on my own to really understand that that should never define whether I should be doing something or not. It's not a problem to look to other people's work as an indicator of what stage you maybe could start to monitor what stage you're at in your career but someone else's work and someone else's opportunities should never in any way define the way you want to go and pursue something or do something like no I don't believe that anyone's two paths are ever the same Uh, and it can be it's definitely a problem that happens in Los Angeles because I think that obviously you've been here as well and you see it is you're constantly selling yourself you meet someone and you're constantly trying to portray that you're this and you're that and I've got these. And it's easy to sell yourself when you have the numbers to back it up. So that's why it starts to become this constant cycle of whenever you meet someone new, how do I sell myself? How do I showcase that I can do this for them? What What's wrong with just talking to someone, getting to know them and seeing where what happens? But it's constantly a sense of weighing up your social media and what you can offer another person because that's the industry that thrives in Los Angeles. Acting, hosting, like all these things just really flow into the same sort of pool, which is how can I help this person and how can this person help me? Uh, It's a do this for you and I'll do it, you do it for me sort of world that we're in, especially in LA. So it's easy to fall into that trap. So I was listening to other people a lot of the time and how they were talking to agents because they had this amount of followers and and they had this amount of interaction. And And I really fell into the trap rather than just trying to find out what made me happier and what really got me passionate uh, when I was talking about something. Because I come from a, a background in football and my best asset, I mean, if you ask me, I'll definitely say I was a good player, but my best asset was I was so passionate mm-hmm. and it was also my worst asset because I would often get caught up in off the field antics or uh, get red cards. I think I set the record in my college for most red cards in America. It was I definitely think that's a fact, but it's, and it was, it was always told to me that that was your best ability, but it was also something that really held you back. So mm-hmm. when I look at that in my workspace, it's the same thing. I'm very passionate about things, but sometimes it can lead me down a road that I don't want to go to. So trying to figure out which, which one, a balance is, is key. It's interesting that you mention that you, <laughs> you held the record for most red cards because in the game of football, it's, uh, you know, it's not necessarily kind of a physical sport in that sense, but it's mm-hmm. kind of, it is this notion of kind of nagging um, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and I wonder if, would you say that that has something to do with self-esteem? Um, I always felt like I needed to be uh, a leader in certain ways and I almost felt it wasn't self-esteem. My problem, I think, was too much confidence and felt like I had the ability to do things outside of the realm of possibility to continue to have people wowed and be like, no, I can do this or I can also do this and this. And, And when I came to the U.S., that was magnified in a way because I was very good on my team football stand and people looked to me as kind of an influential figure in that situation. And I would either use that uh, to catapult me to a place that would be my best place for the field and what I needed to be, or sometimes it would become a distraction and I would let it get to my head maybe too much. And that's why I felt like on the field, I could say what I wanted to say. Most of my red cards did come from uh, speaking back to the referee and feeling like I could kind of be an authoritative figure, even above that sense of authority that's there. Maybe it was a cultural thing because back in Scotland, you can basically say anything you want. On the football field, you can curse until you're red in the face. In America, you're not allowed to do that as much. So yeah, there was definitely things that played a part in it. But self-esteem, it's an interesting question. I just don't know. Maybe someone else can see it looking at me. But my problem was definitely getting too overconfident in college and then coming into a workspace where it was immediately switched. Mm-hmm. where I was no longer like uh, in a position that 
I had all the ability to make all my decisions and that people looked to me. I was now trying to make a name for myself in a very, very big industry that just chews people up and spits it out. So I think when I got to that stage in my life, self-esteem definitely became uh, something that I was kind of just learning about, like learning more so that I wasn't this figure, this figure that I was in college for my football team wasn't going to benefit me as much if I had that same attitude without being a little bit more humble and learning and trying to understand more things going into an industry that really can can make or break you even. And it's still, I'm still learning. Like I've only been out of college for nearly three and a half years, but I feel like I've picked up a lot in that time. And I can only imagine what I'll get to in maybe another three or four years. Yeah, it's interesting to me. It's um, This is a powerful lesson in someone's evolution and humility. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's what often happens. You know, we often think we are invincible. And there is this sort of addiction towards feeling bigger than life, right? Mm-hmm. And so upon you entering an entirely different industry, you were humbled and had to kind of step back into that space, get that validation, that energy, that confidence, et cetera, et cetera. And then once again, now hearing you speak and talking so much about listening is <laughs> is such a coming of age kind of moment, this like cycle of, of you taking another step forward to potentially the best version of yourself. You know, obviously this hopefully will keep evolving. And, you know, something that I found quite striking was actually your piece in Uganda. And I felt in watching you, it was almost as if you were stark naked. Yeah. You know, like just stripped to your core. And it was so beautiful because it's in those types of situations where you kind of realize that um, all of these things that we build up around ourselves, do they matter? Mm. And I'm wondering, is... Is would that would you say that that's an accurate takeaway? Uh, yeah, I absolutely. I mean, it's. I still find it hard to really contemplate like how much impact that trip had on my life, and I appreciate you having such kind words to say about it. And a lot of people have been very kind in what they took from it. And my goal, I think, was to again listen and to have people see such a marginalized and just negatively described group as human beings. Uh, And I felt like the only way that that could be obtained is by being so vulnerable. Um, There was moments during editing uh, where I wanted the parts put in, not to get the sympathy vote and the nice big tear that falls down where everyone says, I'm going to donate. It was nothing to do with that. It was to do with the fact that it's like, there wasn't moments, there was sad moments where I was talking to one of the amazing uh, girls that I met, Catherine, where I just, her story like tore my heart apart and those were real. And I felt so, I felt so connected to her at those points, but there was other moments where I just felt so uncomfortable and I wanted those moments put in because you're not supposed to feel comfortable in those situations. You're supposed to be dragged away from what you get as a sense of reality and what problems you have faced in your life seems so minimal because it was selfish in a way for me to, to experience those moments because I feel like more people should experience them. And I feel that if I had my way, then everyone in the world who has a sense of, I don't know, like a dark moment in their life or they're troubled, it really does drive home how we take so many things for granted. And it does sound cliche, but when I was in the situation where I was, there was this registering point between being taken from the border after walking for six, seven days at times without water to a point where they were waiting to hear their fate on where they were going to try and set up a new life. It was just swarms of people. And often, more often than not, women and kids, uh, little babies. And I looked at these women who some of them have just given birth maybe a month ago. And then just put babies on their body or on their back and walked, Mm. like walked for days. And and there was a moment there where they had the camera rolling and there was kids coming up to me and asking me if I had things. And I deliberately wanted them to keep those moments in because uh, one of the cameramen there felt like we can cut if you don't like this, like it doesn't, you, you don't seem comfortable. And I just wanted them to keep that stuff in because that's a level of 
like that's a point of desperation in their life that they want to ask for just simple things or whether it be food or anything else and I had no way to react other than just be stunned and and be emotional and that's so important of a lesson to learn I think taking back that as we talked about before there's so many things in my life that I viewed as a problem and had to be fixed and had to be addressed when they weren't and it doesn't mean that every problem in the developed world isn't a problem we have many problems but it doesn't hurt to to try to understand that other people in the world are suffering just to try and obtain the simplest forms of needs that any human being should should have uh, as a right and I think that when people say they come back from trips from Africa, like I used to be one of the ones that would make fun of people coming back. Oh, like you're changed because you went to Africa for five minutes. Like, yeah, I, I was changed when I went to Africa for six days. It was, uh, I came back with just more of a, a broader understanding as to what I should start to uh, look at when I faced problems in my life. Um, Cause you're always going to have good and bad days, but overreacting, and, and really thinking the world's about to end because maybe you didn't get 200 likes on your Instagram. It's, it's, it doesn't matter as much, you know? So yeah, there's a lot of lessons. When you said you felt uncomfortable, can you describe mm-hmm. what you were feeling? Uh, I just felt helpless. And I felt like I was supposed to have something to help because I was brought in to this project and treated like, uh, I was treated like, I was, let me just think of a comparison, like Kylie Jenner walking into a makeup store. Uh, like I was treated like I was going to have everything and that people were going to worship me. It was it was an uncomfortable form of treatment because I'd never experienced that before. Um, and that was from the organization. That was from YouTube because they wanted to make it as comfortable as possible. Sending me to Uganda, they wanted to make it a trip that I would be willing to maybe think about doing again. And if they sent me on a caravan across the world next time, I would do it now because what I experienced, it kind of made me feel like all the preparation that I went through wasn't necessary. I was ju- I just really had to be a human being and understand what mm. was going on in that situation. So in that moment, I felt like I was brought in on a car. Most people don't have cars there. They walk everywhere. I was brought in fed and watered, sunscreen, because you know how us Scottish people like to get burnt. Uh, and then I was, I met all these young kids at some point and it was fine and it was well, and I was treated like I was some superstar coming in. And then by the point in that, that moment, that was like two days in, I just felt a little sick, um, because I felt like I'm not what these people might perceive me to be from a distance and I don't have all the essential tools to help them. All I have is a goal, which is to try to tell their story. But there was just so much going on in those moments that I wanted to be able to go and get them uh, a piece of candy so that they could experience something like a chocolate or sweets or whatever else in that moment. I wanted to go and get a blanket or anything, but I, I just couldn't. So it was just a sense of helplessness. And the people were around me because they saw that I was upset trying to make me feel better. But I just, and again, that made me feel sick. So I was like, I'm not the person that should need help here. I, I'm the person that should be the least of anyone's problems. Interesting. Just let me, in a way, just I was just trying to experience what was going on and I shouldn't need to be coddled, checked in on uh, when there's kids starving right next to me, you know? So, yeah. It's interesting that um, <laughs> that business is just a wild and wacky business. Mm-hmm. And to think that, you know, there's a group of people there collectively telling a story and yet still the perceived star or host or whatever have you is in their mind, the center of attention. Yeah. It's such a warped business, but that's an entirely different conversation. (laughs) I'm curious who taught you or maybe didn't or shaped your idea of what it means to be a man. Hmm. I don't know if I, I feel like I'm still learning that lesson, but that's, uh, that's such a, a broad question, but it's an interesting one. There's no doubt. I mean, I couldn't even talk in front of a camera, uh, for long enough. Um, I think on my parents because they they just I wish I could express to them how much they've done for me and that's those lessons that they taught me from an early age have guided me all the way through and Scotland is an amazing place with an amazing uh, I think one of some of the most fun uh, good sense of humor questionable drinking habits like country that has 
so many amazing things. But one thing that I don't think we embrace as a nation as much is uh, opportunity or ambition. Mm. And my parents just completely broke the mold from what I had experienced growing up. And, and other people that I knew were great and had the ability to do things. Just I don't think were pushed to that point. Whereas my parents, they would get so upset if I ever questioned, well, could I? Or could that happen? Like They were just always like, of course you can. Go ahead and do it. Like What is the worst that can happen? Uh, and that's why on the back of my screensaver on my phone, the, the one thing I tell myself every day is doubt kills more dreams than failure ever could. Mm. Another cliche quote, but that was what my dad had drilled into my head and my mum. And it wasn't always plain sailing. I mean, there was points where I didn't have a job when I left high school. And my dad was like, you need to get a job. That wasn't the aspiring dreams that I wanted to get. He just wanted to keep me moving. So I worked in the shipyards. That's partly sculpted what it meant to be a man. Because when you're up at five in the morning and you're working for eight hour days with a 25 minute break, when you're the skinniest pretty boy in the world, it doesn't exactly, it doesn't bode well for you. And I was bad at it. I hated it. And I learned some valuable lessons that I didn't realize till maybe two or three years after that. So that those life experiences definitely played a part in me appreciating the opportunities I had and the parents that I had and my brother and my family. But it was the biggest moments that made me, I think, a man when I made bold decisions, knowing that I would jump into the deep end and I wouldn't have a safety net of my parents there or anyone else in, in my life. And that was when I quit the shipyards and decided to go and pursue a career in America. Financially, my parents were there. And they gave me everything and all the support. But actually going, once I landed in Los Angeles and I went to a college called Whittier College, I was basically on my own. I It was either I had to go to school and I had to learn, I had to adapt. I had to try my best and give it a shot. Uh, that was a decision that sculpted me as to who I am because I look back on that decision every time I come to a crossroads where I think, well, will this work out? And I always just tell myself, like, and so what if it doesn't? Like, what... What is the worst that can happen? Are you going to die? Are you going to get sick? Are you going to be ill? Are you going to not be able to try it again? And it's not a lesson that I learn every time because I'm now starting to venture into the field of acting a little bit more as well as hosting. And that is that is a very, very competitive field. Um, and I've had some immediate successes already, but I've had some uh, close calls that I thought were going to be successes and I fell flat in my face. And I haven't train myself to always be this optimistic i just had an opportunity that fell through that i have no problem telling you about that fell through only four days ago Mm. a tv show in america that i got the part but i couldn't do it because my visa did not grant me the ability to do it um there's minor complications there and i broke my heart because i thought acting is what i'm gonna do i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna be an activist and i'm gonna be a host and it's gonna be all great but it fell through in the last minutes and it broke my heart thinking about it but it, and it took me a day or two to realize okay is this a big problem like are you not gonna be able to give it another shot so a little like i'm always trying to learn these lessons i'm not always the best man i believe to those around me and as a representation to my family in those moments but i think that i i do a good job of trying to pick myself up once i've let the the instinctive hit sink in and then I start to, to, to really like remember those life lessons. Do you consider yourself kind of an American now? Mm. Yes. I love the country equally as much as I love Scotland, which may be harsh on some of the proud Scottish ears. But when you live in a country for nearly eight years, you learn that it's, it's got so many amazing things going for it that I would love to take from here and go and take to Scotland. Like the education system here, yes, very expensive. But the way that they work and incorporate sports and just the ability to pursue what you want to do into education, it would catapult higher education rates through the roof in the UK or Scotland because more people would want to go and play football while studying rather than trying to go and make it as a footballer, falling through the cracks, and then all of a sudden you're left without higher education. So there's certain things that I love about it, but there's so many flaws that I think people deliberately don't want to see. Uh, I think I'm in a type of American that I'm blessed in a way that I'm not firmly engraved in the patriotic stance where I won't question what's wrong with this country. Uh, and this will lead back to my points again against like Kaepernick. And his, his decision is like, when you criticize something, it doesn't mean you don't love it. It means you just want to see it be better. 
James Baldwin wrote that as one of his most famous quotes is like, I love America more than any country in the world. And that is why I have every right to criticize it because you want things to be better. It doesn't mean you hate them. It just means you want to see them maybe aspire to the potential that they've shown. So I almost feel like I care more about America than any other country because I think that it can be so great for every citizen, but it isn't at the moment. Uh, whereas my love for Scotland is my love for Scotland. And if I was to live in that country again and go back to the UK, my need to make that a better place would probably come out as well because I always feel like I can try to help it. But it's definitely like, I almost feel like the US is like, uh, it's like a, a broken puppy in a way. Like I just want to go and help like nurture it a little bit better. Sometimes... And then get it back to full full health. And, and that's why I think I'm so fascinated by it. Seems like a parent-child relationship. Yeah, it sounds that way. It. So I know you don't have much time, so I'm going to get to the end questions that I ask pretty much everyone. Okay. Uh, so one of the, the foundations of Untitled Female is this idea of speak your truth. Mm-hmm. So that can be anything that you really firmly believe in or that is part of your core of who you are or just a mantra that you so if there's a speak your truth that you would say to us now i would say listening is definitely the most powerful tool that you have uh you may think that your beauty is maybe the thing or blonde hair blue eyes legs abs anything uh can get you to the point in your life that you want to get to I think that it's listening and I think that it's listening to what you really want to do and listening to others. And it's, it's a lesson that I've only recently in recent terms, maybe three, four years I've became to really stay true to, but it is the most valuable tool. Champion flaws. So these are flaws that you're aware of, you're maybe working on, maybe even you're proud of them. Are there some that you could name? Uh, at times I maybe speak my opinion too much and it's, it's all about time and place. I feel like sometimes I get into full-blown political debates at the dinner table when I'm out in Hollywood or something. It's not necessarily the best time and place to do it. But undoubtedly, my biggest flaw is becoming easily distracted by shiny things. And what I mean by that is it's exactly what I get reviews every year at TYT. And to be fair, they're very, uh, they always praise me and, and try to keep me motivated. But one of the flaws is dead on the head. Uh, which is I get distracted by things that I think I should be doing uh, rather than focusing on what I want to do. So that comes part and parcel with stories that I think I should be doing but necessarily don't believe in. Maybe other opportunities that I'm trying to pursue rather than really grasping the one that I have. And and I feel like at time it just it becomes a, a hindrance to me. I really need to just remain focused on what I truly want to do. So being easily distracted is a big problem and look maybe too much in mirrors. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know if they're um, shiny things. They sound like red cards. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and then I guess the other thing is, what do you think your younger self would say and think about you now? He would probably say, wow, you lucky get. Like, what? how did you get to live in Los Angeles at this <laughs> point in your life? Like, that's... It's just a, an unbelievable thing to think of, even at this point in my life. I can't imagine what a 15 or 13-year-old would say. He'd be say, he'd also say, I'm happy that you grew into your body. You're not just a 115-pound uh, kid anymore. I used to always try to put on weight and become a little more muscular, and blah, blah, blah. But uh, I think he was just he would say that he's maybe proud that you stopped doing things that pleased other people. And started to really just go ahead and please yourself and try to do something that you think can make a difference. And maybe be a little surprised that you could have learned this much. Because I didn't necessarily listen as much in high school as what I should have. But at this point in my life, I feel like it's one of my, my, one of my best tools, I think. And finally, <clears throat> I always have a guest kind of fill in this sentence. Um, and the sentence is, Alianka, you really should be asking this. What do you feel I should be asking? Mm. It's going to stump me a little bit. Ayanka, you really should be asking. Maybe, I, I don't know. I, I feel like you're such an interesting person that you would maybe gauge their thoughts on you at some point as well. And like, 
if they've met you, like you've, uh, me and I, uh, you and I have met, we touched on it briefly and how you thought that I was this type of person and I was inspired by talking to you and other people advice. So if the, uh, if you know someone, I feel like you might not realize it until you maybe ask the question, but that per- you might have had an impact already on that person before you had them on uh, your podcast to discuss, or even if you didn't meet them, gauge their initial thoughts on you because even in such small uh, space of time and interaction you really I think if you listen you can start to gauge what type of person that is and and maybe even be as complimentary to them with things that they're doing right that they might not even realize Hmm. yeah I the only thing that immediately comes up for me is this kind of self-gratifying thing and (laughs) I really don't want to traverse into that area but but it is, you know, the way that I see it is, it's interesting how I think the takeaway of that is that to be mindful, right? Mm. Because you never, you never know the impact, negative and positive, that you can make on a person. So be mindful mm-hmm. um, as best as that you can, maybe. So. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's how I'll, I'll receive that. I wish we could, maybe we can do another one of these because there's, there's so much that there's so much kind of wealth in, in your, in the brain of yours. Um, and I'd love to keep picking at it, but thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Hopefully our paths cross soon again. I'm sure they will. And I'm excited for you to land that big acting gig. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. I'll get Fingers there. Crossed. Oh, we'll I, I appreciate you having me on. It was really good to... I feel like we just scratched the surface. Yes. We could definitely chat for more. So there you have it, Francis, in all his glory. I want to ask you to follow him on all of the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. They're all at Francis M. Maxwell. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S-M-M-A-X-W-E-L-L. I'm not sure what the M stands for. That's his middle name, so maybe one of you can ask him that. You can watch him on YouTube with the Young Turks Network, and then also just Google in his name because you'll find all these videos pop up of him. If you want show notes and if you want the two videos that we talked about, which is the his kind of rant on the millennials and his trip to Uganda. I have linked those in the show notes. So go on to the homepage, the entitledfemaleproject.com. Click over to Tell Your Story podcast if you see Francis's face, but you can't miss it. Click there and you'll see all those links. I always ask you guys, if you can, please head over to the iTunes store and to where you can find all podcasts and write and review, tell your story pod. I'm hitting, this is number 10. I have, I believe, eight more already recorded and just waiting to be edited and shared with you. If you have suggestions for potential other people that I should be interviewing or you'd like to hear from or, or incredible lessons that you know of, please send me an email at uf at theuntitledfemaleproject.com. So that's it for now. Uh, I will see you next week most likely. I have news about that too, but I'll let you guys know. All right, enjoy your day.